Right, so we're recording, um, at, but right now I'm just gonna walk you through how this is gonna work. I don't know, you're, you have the questions I sent you. Um, so we're pretty much just gonna go in order and maybe if you do say something that's like really intriguing or maybe um, I'd like for you to explain a little bit more, we'll go through that. But really the idea isn't to like um, catch you guys off guard or anything. We're trying to make this as conversational and easy to follow for our listeners um, or readers. I'm also gonna turn this into a written story. Um, but yeah, I think we can go ahead and get started. Let me just do one final check on our microphone level. So um, I'm just gonna introduce myself. I'm Rafael Garcia and I am the education reporter for the Capital Journal. Bert, could you? And I'm Bert Moore, and I'm the Director of Special Education and Title Services for the state of Kansas. Sweet. Heath, could you go with you? I'm Heath Piney. I'm the Chair of the Special Education Advisory Council and a Executive Director of Special Education for Wichita Public Schools. Sweet. All right. Um, and you can hear us all right, Heath. Is that loud enough for you? I can, I can hear. It's not super easy, but I can, it'll work. Okay, so I think we can just agree to speak up <laughs> on our end. All right, so with that, I think we'll go ahead and get started. Um, let me make sure I have, now that we already said our titles, um, so I'm going to introduce you guys as Burt Moore, Director of Special Education and Title Services for the Kansas Department of Education. Is that? That's right? correct. And then Heath Pine, Executive Director of Student Support for the Wichita School District? Student Support Services. Student Support Services for, how would you prefer for me to say the Wichita District, USD 259 or? I think Wichita Public Schools is probably best because not everybody knows what the 259 is. Right. Yeah, we run into something similar here with Topeka sometimes, but. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to briefly introduce myself, what the podcast is, um, introduce you guys and then we'll jump into questions. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Teaching Topeka, the Capital Journal's podcast where we discuss education topics as students, teachers, and families adjust to learning in a pandemic. I'm your host, Rafael Garcia, education reporter for the Capital Journal. Today, I'm joined in our studio by Burt Moore, Director of Special Education and Title Services for the Kansas Department of Education, and by phone with Heath Pine, Executive Director of Student Support Services for Wichita Public Schools. Burton Heath, thanks for coming on our show. It's hard to believe that it's already been a half year since we closed schools, um, but thinking back to that fateful spring break back in March, um, what has it taken to adapt special education um, right now during the pandemic? And Bert, I'll let you go ahead and get started. Well, I think the first thing that we did was we had to address how we're going to individualize education for our special needs students. So we started with meeting with directors of special education and working with them to try and assist them in how they could best serve the students in remote locations because one of the requirements of moving to remote when the governor closed schools in March was that all schools would continue to provide services to all students. This became problematic when we had students in homes where there wasn't adequate technology or internet capability. And so we were awarded some funds from the federal government and districts used those to provide technology support for students within homes. It's been challenging, 
I think that we served a majority of students quite well during that time to the remote opportunity, but we missed the opportunity for explicit instruction through face-to-face -face with our students that need that the most. And that's our special population students. They really need explicit instruction. And we know that many of them have gaps now as a result of not having that educational process applied during that time. Mm -hmm. Heath, your thoughts on what it's maybe taken to adapt um, special education services, especially from your perspective as somebody who's doing it a little bit more closer to the ground? Yeah, it, I think in addition to the, the things Bert said, which are all very helpful, is we've also had to have a very high level of collaboration between districts in trying to um, understand how we can best move forward. And there's a group, the Kansas Association of Special Education Administrators, and there's been a great amount of collaboration in that group and with some outside groups of the Council of Administrators of Special Education nationally to try to work together and problem solve. And we've had to come up with new ways to provide support. An example is in my district, we are offering a behavior hotline. So if parents are struggling with behavior at home, they can call in and talk to a behavior specialist and, and get some support that way, which is something that you know we wouldn't have thought of before to, to offer to parents. Mm -hmm. Now, it seems that special education, by definition, differs from the education a lot of the general population does receive. Um, in adapting to the pandemic, um, you've gone over this a little bit, but what are some other examples of um, ways that um, special education has had to adapt or ways that special education educators are um, doing things differently right now? Well, I'd say the first thing that we did was we worked with general education uh, professionals to come up with a a document on continuous learning. So last spring, we were working together to formulate the process of how we could really adapt instruction for all in students, all of our students within remote locations. That became challenging. Some of our districts were allowed to have small groups of students attending on campus. And so as long as they could social distance and they met all the health requirements, then they were able to transport students to the campus and provide supports and services there. One of the considerations we have to look at is that all special education students are general education students first. And so we also had to collaborate with our general education teacher partners in how we designed and provided the supports and services to students with disabilities during that continuous learning opportunity last spring. Heath, did you have any input on that? Yeah, from... You know, from a district level, there are a lot of the teaching practices that are effective in either special education or general education. When they're effective on site, those most effective practices are also effective virtually. So, an example would be teacher clarity, where the student, where there's clarity around what they're learning, why they're learning it, how they'll know when they've learned it. That works either way, and trying to figure out how to adapt how we did that in a classroom to how we're going to do it remotely, you know, has been a challenge, but it's not, not a big stretch. So we've had to focus on some of those really high value practices that work in special education and general education, as well as some in special education, and try to adapt them to the virtual environment, which took a lot of new learning on technology and some of the, the new devices, as Bert mentioned. Mm -hmm. 
here in Kansas, we have a wide variety of districts, both big and large. Um, here in Topeka, we have 13,000 students um, where um, back where I'm from, it might have just been a few hundred. How have different districts, especially big and small, how have they varied maybe in their approach to special education right now? I think a lot had to uh, depend on where the virus count was within each county. So in rural settings, uh, back in the spring, we had some counties that had no cases that were identified. They were able to provide some supports and services on site that other larger systems where the virus had gotten out of hand were not able to do that. So I think it was the adapting to what needed to be done based upon the size of the district, what the county health department was suggesting as far as safety concerns for students to be either on campus or being served in some sort of hybrid model. And so what we've had to move to now this year is looking at districts on site, having a hybrid model or having a remote model based upon that viral count. And as we know, the count in Kansas is going up. We've also had to adapt to trying to provide services in two environments. We have some parents that have said they want their students served remotely, so they're not sending their students to school. So teachers are having to design instruction around the students that are on campus and then those students who are in home settings, some of which may not have internet capability. So there are a lot of challenges still to be worked through. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen in um, general education, especially right now, um, where teachers are taking a little bit more of an individualized approach to education or paying more attention to um, individual students' needs. Um, it seems like this is something that has happened even before the pandemic in special education. Are there any examples of um, good practices from special education that you've seen carried over, not just into special education, but maybe general education as a whole? Well, I think general education for years has had a multi-tiered system of support established to where they have a tier one instruction for all students, and it's called the core instruction. And then they have a tier two for those students that need more time to gain those concepts, and a tier three for those students that have not mastered those concepts and need remediation or intervention in some form. I think that practice has helped us within general education understand how to reach and teach all students. So as partners and working collaboratively, we know that special education is not a place, it's a service. And sometimes that service occurs in environments outside of the general education classroom, but the least restrictive environment is for it to occur within the general ed classroom. What this promotes then is collaborative partnerships between special education and general education. And what we've seen is general education teachers become better at adapting their instruction for the most needy students through that collaborative partnership. Mm -hmm. Heath, have you seen any sort of practices that have maybe worked in um, putting in place these um, learning models for both special education and general education students? Well, I think if, if we went back and tracked the words that have been said during this conversation, the most common word might be adapt. And I think that's a big key word is in, in special education, there are many things that used to be, here's what we do. You know, if you have this problem, here's how you solve it. And now we've had to create adaptive plans for everything because those plans may change any given week. And that's happened at the system level, the district level, but it's also happened at the teacher level. And special education was probably... Some special educators were more 
accustomed to doing that with students, adapting to their needs, filling those needs. And But general education has done it plenty through the MTSS system that Bert was talking about as well. I think, like you mentioned, that probably has increased with this, that found the need to understand specifically where students are in their learning and then try to take them to the next step of learning as opposed to teaching a lesson from the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I think education as an industry is just facing this sort of unprecedented challenge in everything and every part of um, school operations, education, um, outreach. Um, but in your mind, what do you think it might be the biggest challenge facing special education right now? I think it's reaching and teaching those students that we know had gaps last spring and then ensuring that the students are making progress within their individual education programs. It becomes problematic when we have students that are not being seen on a regular basis by general ed or by special education, and we know that those gaps are forming. And so we want to do everything possible to ensure that those students are receiving the appropriate services that they require and that they need. And that becomes challenging when the students are not on site and receiving that explicit instruction. It becomes even more challenging if they lack the technology that they need to be successful within the curriculum and within what we're trying to promote within all school environments. Mm -hmm. Keith, your thoughts? I think there's two challenges that are related and related to what Bert talked about as well, is IDEA, IDEA was not built for a pandemic. And there are a lot of uh, structures and guidelines and laws that are not flexible. And we've contacted the federal level to try to get flexibility, and it, it didn't happen. And without that flexibility, it's a struggle. But also, when Bert talked about special education students getting what they need, equity is a major concern for me. I've heard some educators advertise that they have equity because they found a way to get every student a digital device. And just having a device in and of itself won't create equity for all students. It's a major step in the right direction, but it provides a quality, not equity. My hope is that the districts continually monitor their progress of all students and on an individual basis adjust when needed. If it's not working, make changes. Make sure you know if it's not working. And then at the school and district level, look at trends. Are there groups of students who it's not working for their plan? And and then adjust. I mean, this is all new. We're here to learn. We're going to have to learn and improve as we go. But I think equity of our new plans is a challenge and something we should focus on. Mm-hmm. I think yesterday Dr. Watson had mentioned how there's this fear that students might be falling behind um, and contributing to this gap um, just as a whole as we look at all students across the state. Um, How do we measure that gap this year or how do we measure our students' performances? I think the first thing we have to do is look at the baseline of where are they now compared to where they were before we went to the remote uh, education last spring. And so that takes some screening or assessment to figure out where are our students now, and that's across the content areas. And within the IEP process for special needs students, it's looking at where they were within their goals and objectives, and have they mastered those objectives that we had written out for them, or have they digressed? And that's something that has to be done on an individual basis, child by child. So all of us are challenged right now across the state to figure out what is the gap. Was there a gap? Some students may not have had a gap at all. If they had summer programming provided through extended school year services, it may have helped to close the gap that may have been there. 
But I think it's that being able to measure, and that's going to be important that we do screening and that we do some sort of assessing to figure out where are the students right now so we know how to design then that instructional plan for them. Mm -hmm. This early on in the school year, is there yet any idea on what that gap might look like? It depends on the student and on the system because some systems were able to be successful in meeting the majority of the students' needs last spring and also continuing some support over the summer where other districts were not. And so it's then finding that opportunity of how do we individualize the screener or the assessment and then how does the teacher use that information to plan instruction because we know that it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all for an instructional process. It's going to require then addressing the individual needs of students. So when you asked earlier about how general ed and special education are collaborating, I think we're seeing it right now as a result of what's happening as we begin the school year out. Mm -hmm. If I could add to that, I really think that, as Burr said, all students were affected differently by this. And the amount of effect that any learning loss they had is important, but the most important thing we can focus on is how well they're learning moving forward. We can't change the past. We can't move backwards, but we have to make sure that we're not lagging behind in the new model and that we're making good progress. And those assessments, they don't need have to be state assessments. It can be an assessment based on you're in third grade. What are you supposed to know and be able to do in third grade? Where are you at now? And then how can we get you there? And if we have that focus on the smaller, more student level, as Bert mentioned, I think we, we can be successful with this, but we've got to keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. Um, really like what you had said earlier, Heath, about um, equity versus equality, um, about making sure that our students all have the same opportunities, but the same kind of um, chance to even reach those opportunities. How do we make sure that our special education students um, have the same kinds of opportunities as their peers? I think that's always a major priority for special educators, and it, and it always has been. I think it's part of our DNA in special education to, to help them have that equity there because it's not always there when it's presented to us. And I think we have to continue to advocate for it on those opportunities to ensure our plans that are provided by our federal or state or district level allow for the same opportunities. And I don't think there's a big uh, magic way to say, here's how we need to do it, because there are differences in every district and differences in every building and every classroom and for every student. But we have to make sure we educate our special educators on how to maximize the equality and the equity of those opportunities and how to advocate for their students and how to support them inside of their IEP meetings. I think our challenge when it comes to equity is being able to measure that gap. Because when we look at the gap, if we don't have a huge gap, then we can say that students have learned equally. But we also know that equity requires some students to receive more support than other students in order to gain the same outcomes that we want all students to have. We have state board outcomes tied to graduation and to kindergarten readiness, to social-emotional growth. I mean, all of these are for all students. So we also have to address then that all students are on trajectory to master the content so that they can be successful beyond the school door. 
And so that's part of our process as well in individualizing the education of students with disabilities. We're determining how we can keep them caught up with their peer group to the maximum extent appropriate so that those students can have the same opportunities and meet the same benchmarks as every other student. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very insightful. Um, do you guys have any sort of closing thoughts on um, just special education, especially this semester? I'll go ahead, Heath. I think what I'm looking at is ensuring that our students with disabilities are not left behind and that we work with parents because parents and families become critical key partners in how we can assist students to meet our educational outcomes. And so we have to work cooperatively and collaboratively with our parents. General education and special education need to see themselves through one lens, and that lens is student achievement and student outcomes and students being successful beyond the school door. And as long as we can partner all of us together, based upon the needs of each student, then we can be successful in helping each student to achieve a happy life beyond the school door. Heath, did you have any closing thoughts? I think Bert stated that very, very well. And as usual, I agree with him 100%. Just as we're going through that process, and I know I've said it before, I think we have to look at a lot of this in cycles. We try something. We, you know, we look at what they need, we try something, we see if it's working. If it is working, we celebrate it, we tell others what worked. If it doesn't work, we try something else because we're all going to be learning as we go and as we're going through those uh, steps and processes and partnerships Bert talked about. I think we have to be very mindful of the if we're on track to where we need to be. All right. Well, Bert and Heath, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, this has been very insightful, and I know it's going to be a challenging year, but... Um, no doubt in that challenge, I think we'll see a lot of good growth and a lot of um, hard work from our teachers, especially um, as they navigate that change. Um, for the Capital Journal, this has been Rafael Garcia. Join us next time. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I think that this has been, like I said, really insightful and um what I'll do is I'm going to put this together over the weekend, and we'll probably have this in our either Sunday or Monday issue of the paper. Um, but I really appreciate both of your perspectives, um, you, Keith, or, or as the statewide director, and then that on-the-ground, boots-on-the-ground perspective as a um, director at the district level, Heath. Um, now, you also worked on the Navigating Change document, right? Or what was your title on that? Me, I was not. I was not part of that. Oh, getting mixed up then. Um, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, what I think he I does. I was invited in the beginning, but if I had a conflict and couldn't make it, so I, I got left. I wasn't there. What Heath doesn't tell you is that he's the chairperson of the Special Education Advisory Council for the state of Kansas. Mm. He is also the chairperson of the Kansas Association of Special Education Administrators. And nationally, he works for the Council of Administrators of Special Education as the professional development chairperson. And he's working on his doctorate. And he's trying to work in the largest school district in the state. And he has, is it three or four children? Three. Well, maybe a fourth's on the way. He has three children and a very uh, happy wife. 
that he's trying to take care of. And that man can juggle more than just about anybody I know. So I think the world of Heath, and I don't know if you want to put any of that in there, but uh, you really got a jewel when you got him on this call. Yeah, for sure. Well, I remember last week when we were emailing back and forth, you had mentioned that you were going to be on a, or in a national magazine, I think. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, yeah, a national magazine. I actually had a podcast interview last week, too, out of Maine. But it was it was more stressful because it was live. And I, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah, they just called it on the air, and, and then they turned it into a podcast afterwards. So that was interesting. Oh, I mean, my. Yeah, I'm not quite at that level yet. Well, <laughs> I've, always, I've always liked writing or being a print journalist, newspaper journalist, because I always tell people that I don't speak good, but I write well. You did extremely well here. I really appreciate how you made us comfortable, and you were very direct and very affluent, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Helps to have a script in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, well, I had one, but I never looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll let you get with the rest of your day, Heath. Thanks for, again for joining us, and I'll send you a link when this thank is you. up online. Great. We'll, I appreciate we'll it. Have a wonderful day. All right, bye. Bye.